daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Welcome to the panel discussion of World Today, a news program from a different perspective. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Plans are underway to build a new trade corridor connecting India to the European continent via the Middle East. The United States, India, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates announced this particular project during the recent G20 summit. The European Union and some individual EU member countries like France, Italy, and Germany are also involved here. So, in this edition of the program, we are going to explore the geopolitics behind this project, as well as the prospect regarding the actual constructions and buildings surrounding it. To listen to this episode again, or to catch up on our previous episodes, download our podcast by searching "World Today." So, joining us now on the line is Mr. Mohammad Saqib, CEO of the Bureau of Research on Industry and Economic Fundamentals. That's a New Delhi-based consultancy. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Also joining us is Dr. Guy Burton, adjunct professor at the Department of International Affairs with Vassilias College in Brussels. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And finally, we have Dr. Ying Zhiguang, professor of international politics with Fudan University in Shanghai, China. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Okay. So, Mr. Sequip, to start with you. U.S. President Joe Biden says the proposed corridor would offer quote endless、um, opportunities for the countries involved, making it far easier to trade and export clean energy and lay cables that that would、um, you know connect communities unquote.、Uh, what do you think has really prompted the Biden administration、uh, to throw their support to this particular program? Yeah, thank you, thank you for 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 having me on this、uh, on this show. Well, I think uh, uh, this initiative, as they say, it it has it has a like you you mentioned in your introduction, it has a huge amount of geopolitical、uh, geopolitics involved in it.、Uh, you know, the U.S. is is is、uh, on the way out of、um, not only in in the Middle East but generally from the. Uh, from uh, from the from the world、uh, scenario, you know, we are on the verge of uh, new uh, economic order, and Middle East is going to play a very very important role. So you look at, if you look at the the, the the whole geography that that America is going down, America's involvement is in Middle East is is going、um, it's all it's almost negligible now except for some defense things you know. And all even in South Asia, I mean now if you look at Afghanistan,、um, America is, is is withdrawn. So now they are trying to make somehow、uh, a to to bring in feet into into the Middle East region and want to play an important role. Now, Europe and America on its own is not capable of doing much now because of either whether financially or infrastructure wise, or or, or otherwise, you know. Hmm. So this is one of the reasons that they they want to、uh, want Jordan and and in Israel to play an important role. They want to bring in Europe also in in、uh, in, in Middle East. The second thing is, and I think which is more important, is that somehow American administration or the West they want to undermine BRI. You know, now I have seen some discussions going here. The people I have started talking, oh, this is the old Spice Road, which was more important than the Silk Road. So this is going to replace the, I mean, the Silk Road to the Spice Road, and all those kind of things. But we know that this is this is more of a big talks on good on good on talking, but substance there is not much. You cannot say much about now because they are still in the formulation. Within two months, we will know that the exact route and the the thing and all.、Mm. But in India and and generally, we have seen so many announcements of number of corridors have happened,、mm. uh, but nothing nothing really moves. So we do not know that who all will be involved. We do not know that how much money it will require. We do not know who will bring in the money into it. Yeah, and, we, and you look at the political situation in 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 Middle East and all. It is still quite fluid, you know. 
We yeah. do not know how Saudi Arabia and, and Israel will get together, how will Turkey react to it, what China, what, what Iran's and, and Saudi equation will remain, how UAE uh, will, will, will behave on only. Mm. So it's a very fluid situation as of today. Yeah, so definitely a lot of issues remain uncertain at this point. So, yeah. Professor Ng, let me turn to you. I mean, when we talk about whether the United States is leaving the Middle East, I guess that's what awards another whole hour of panel discussion. But uh, in your observation, do you think this is the Washington's way of reacting to the changing, say, landscape in the Middle East where, for example, the traditional uh, Arab partners of Washington, like UAE and Saudi Arabia, are nowadays moving to deepen ties with other powers like Russia, China, mm-hmm. in, in a sort of perceived pursuit of strategic autonomy. Hmm. Uh, I quite like the expression, uh, react. Uh, to be honest, uh, what I perceived, what I consider nowadays the Americans' reaction towards the uh, Middle Eastern is much, very much on the line of a reactive reaction which means that uh, they realize that uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, situation in the Middle East is very vital in their perceived global competition against China threats. So the main theme in their action is not necessarily cooperation uh, for, 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 for the benefit of the, uh, of the world, but in the sense of uh, reacting towards a, uh, an enemy that they perceived uh, Makes posed as the biggest threat towards the American uh, world order. Um, so, in, in, to me, the, in, in the sense, of course, personally, I think it, uh, to, uh, to the Middle Eastern and uh, regions that is currently in the discussions of, of this initiative, uh, I would very much like to see real actions going on. Very much like to see the American action to bring true development, true benefit to the local people. But I agree with the previous panelist that uh, it's all about, uh, it's all up in the air at the moment. Okay. So, so Professor Guy Burton, what is your observation? Now, one particular point in this regard is because this um, uh, planned corridor uh, will pass through Israel and Jordan, therefore some media reports suggested that the Biden administration is hoping that this um, project could somehow support its um, diplomatic effort to push for normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia by building on the momentum of what has already happened because of the Abraham uh, Accords uh, signed during the Donald Trump era. What is your observation? I mean, just to uh, follow on from from uh, Professor Yin and, and Mr. Saqib, you, the point, one of the interesting things about all of this is how you can see this uh, proposal, this initiative at so many different levels, right? I think you can see it from the perspective of Washington and New Delhi at one you know, at one level, but then you can also see it regionally and, and how do the Saudis and the UAE see it? And this kind of feeds into what you're talking about relate, relating to normalization between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Because yes, as you've mentioned, the Americans would be quite keen to see this as maybe one of the ways of encouraging or making it easier to see normalization take place between those two countries. But you've also got to keep in mind that there's other interests that are or other issues that are floating around there as well. I mean, one of them is the the, the question of the Palestinians. I mean, the Saudis have been very clear in making in, in stating that any kind of normalization deal with Israel does require some kind of resolution about what's going on with the Palestinians and, and the current Israeli government, which is incredibly right wing um, and also very opposed to any kind of recognition of the Palestinians, that is a major stumbling block. Um, it also, you've also got to remember as well that Israel wants normalization, the US wants normalization, the Saudis know this. And so in that sense, they have considerable leverage at the moment. The day after they sign an agreement with Israel, that leverage goes. So yes, I can sort of see how this enables uh, engagement and some kind of collaboration, but the extent to which this is actually going to result in a normalization deal is is still debatable. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Sequip, on the part of uh, India or uh, the Indian government, 
I mean, certainly there are a lot of incentives to advance new trade corridor linking India to the Middle East as well as European Union.、Uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, for example,、uh, re- represent India's third and fourth largest trading partner, respectively. And in the meantime,、uh, trade between India and the EU has also been growing in most recent years. And actually, New Delhi and Brussels are actually currently in talks with each other over a possible free trade agreement. So, when we talk about this、um, planned project, do you think trade is the only consideration of the Indian government? Uh, I think you know if you if you look at this initiative as an economic uh, uh, initiative, it does not make any sense. You know, for India's trade, we already have a agreement, SEPA、uh, agreement、uh, with the European Union. We have established alliance with with Saudi Arabia and other Middle East countries and all. For Europe, our I mean, for Europe, we are not even two percent of Europe's trade and all. So I think, as far as economics is concerned, I do not see that any 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 merit into it. If you look at the geopolitics, yes, you know we see that that Middle East and and North Africa, especially MENA region, is going to be a very very big market, and India can play a very big role. Now we see China as a competitor into this market, and same thing the America also see China as a, as a competitor market in this region. So for I mean our interest with America aligns there that somehow we have to、uh, push Chinese initiative and get to it. But this is as I said earlier, this is more of a geopolitics than economics, and there is not enough time to talk about the、uh, the, the figures and all.、Uh, but really, as far as the India is concerned, our trade. With China is still much bigger than the trade of EU and 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 uh, uh, Emirates uh, together.、Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, unless there is something happens that suddenly the, the the Europe becomes a very big market for us, and then they are shifting their imports from India to from China to India. I mean, a lot of big things are happening. But as of today, in the current situation, I do not see any economic feasibility. Or any logistic feasibility in this corridor.、Mm. So, Professor Guy Burton, geopolitically speaking,、um, some observers might say that China's growing ties with the Middle East is a concern for India and、uh, China's,、um, say, potentially growing political. What geopolitical presence in the region probably represents a bigger concern, represented by this Iran-Saudi rapprochement brokered by Beijing diplomats earlier this year. So, in this regard, New Delhi and Washington, in their opinion, have found a common ground in terms of countering China in the Middle East. What is your thought on this? Do you think this is one area where the interests of the United States and India? Align with one another when we talk about this planned corridor. I mean, possibly. I mean, there's. This is one of the most the most recent、uh, phenomenon of this of this sentiment, you know, coming out of New Delhi and 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 Washington. If you go back a little bit earlier, about a year or two years or so ago, we had what we called the the I two U two, where sort of the U S and the U A E and India and Israel as a sort of Middle East. Quartet was also being put forward as maybe sort of an anti-China block. Although, again, it, it at a re- this is why I stress the importance of looking at this at different levels. Because whereas New Delhi and and Washington may well see this as an anti-China、uh, project, at the regional level there is a lot more ambivalence about this.、Uh, you know, the Israelis, the UAE, the Saudis—they're all interested in diversifying their relationships with、um, with, with 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 great and rising powers, and so it's not really in their interests to. Uh, to to side with one block over the other. I mean, they're interested in you know diversifying economic and political relationships. So, I'm yeah, you know, I get why it's sometimes being portrayed in some in in the American and the Indian media as this. But I think it's important to also look at the different levels at which we we can we can see this proposed corridor. Hmm. Thank you very much for putting this perspective. So, Professor Injuguan. Um, when commenting on this、uh, particular planned、uh, corridor earlier this week,、uh, I guess it was on Monday this week, China's、uh, foreign ministry、uh, suggested that、uh, China actually welcomes 
all initiatives aimed at promoting connectivity and promoting common development across the world, as long as they don't become a geopolitical tool. So, what can you read from this comment from China's foreign ministry? Uh, yeah, I think it actually shows quite strong consistency, underlying consistency between Chinese uh, in, within all the uh, Chinese pol- uh, uh, foreign policy rhetorics in the recent years, uh, which has the uh, key word, which is cooperation, non-exclusive. When they're describing. Uh, for example, Belt and Road Initiative, the corridor connecting Asia and Middle East and Africa, they always emphasize this is not a reenaction of the Cold War Marshall Plan, and on the contrary, it was the um, sort of uh, the opponent, uh, the 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 opponent uh, suggesting that China is actually pushing forward a uh, a equivalent, uh, a Cold War equivalent of Marshall Plan, whereas China is saying, "No, what we're trying to do is to change the." Uh, the, uh, the 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 perspective in understanding the world and further diversify the choices. And here, I think we we definitely need to emphasize um, that the importance of changing our political uh, theoretical rhetoric in understanding the framework, the structure, the order of uh, uh, of global politics uh, mm-hmm. under the influence of the Cold War confrontation and realist perspective. Always emphasize. Uh, geopolitics, the importance of big power geopolitics, struggle plays the most important role in deciding uh, the future of the world. Whereas uh, in practice, we're actually seeing, um, usually during the time of uh, of bipolar confrontation, the, the 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 forces, the union of the forces in between, start to gain new political momentum. Nowadays, what we're seeing that、uh, many of the countries in this region, in the Asian and African regions, start to decide that、uh, aligning with any sort of ideological camps is not necessarily serving their best interests, and this res- resonates with the rhetoric that we're familiar with in the 1950s and 60s, African Solidarity Movement. Whereas China is active, was an active member、uh, participant in that movement. So we can see nowadays the Chinese rhetoric on this sort of uh, 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 political rhetoric on emphasizing the Chinese attitude towards cooperation, mutual collaboration, is continuing that 1950s non-aligned movement, 1969 aligned movement. Afro-Asian solidarity movement spirit, which emphasizes on the small and weaker countries' political agency. Not、uh, necessarily under the control of the big powers, and China is constantly rejecting the rhetoric of big power politics.、Um, so, henceforth, my interpretation of、uh, um, of Chinese uh, um, attitude towards uh, uh, towards the newly established corridor is,、um, I think, it is quite、uh, encouraging and is consistent with its own political logic. Okay, so,、um, Mr. Sequip. I mean, Gulf countries like、um, some of our fellow panelists have mentioned earlier are deepening ties with China as well. So I guess there is probably no reason why they would want to build this planned corridor as an anti-China project or countering China project. Let me put it in this way. So. Um, with that in mind, do you think、uh, the stance towards China or the stance on China? Is an area where differences might pop up, might arise between Gulf states and some of the other involved countries during the construction of this corridor. Yeah,、uh, actually, you know,、uh, the, as, as my, my 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 previous speaker said that that, that that the Gulf countries they are looking at the situation. I mean, I work in I work in in the Gulf. I have an office in in Beijing, and I work in Saudi Arabia. Countries also, you know, their first priority is that they have to get out of the shackles of the West. You know, for too long they have been they have been just dictated by them or been controlled by or ruled by or whatever you can say it by by the West. So the first thing is that they have to get themselves free from the interference of the West into their internal matters as far as the the corporate matter. This is number one. Number two is that they have to spread their relationship, whether this is geoeconomics, geopolitics, or it is 
social relationship and all. So they are looking at all the options. Whoever is coming and doing working with them in for, for their needs because now the, these countries are moving uh, beyond oil and they are looking for other opportunities. For example, IT. So they might look for 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 India for IT. Uh, they are looking for high technology, then it's, um, USA might still be very, very important. They are creating a lot of new cities and, and industrial parks and manufacturing, for which China is, is, is very, very important. So they are giving options to everybody, that everybody can come and they will work with everybody. Now their reaction to China as of today, they are very positive about China. They are working very deeply with China. I mean, almost whatever activities you see in manufacturing or 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 infrastructure like neon city and all the chinese are heavily entrenched into into it and they do not see any negativity because at the end of the day you know they they are the monarchies and all and they do not like interference uh, from outside countries but china i mean has this policy that they do not interfere uh, they into uh, uh, their the affairs of the of the domestic country so china's Theory is that, okay, business of business should stay in the business. They should do not. And then, then probably they appreciated it. But they do not know that how it will turn out in the long run. Because, I mean, nobody knows China really as yet. Uh, that how things will move. So they have an option. As of today, China is a very good friend. India is a very good friend for them. America is still involved, but they are not really very welcome or they are suspicious of, of, of America and, and Europe as of today. But I think when this corridor, they do not see as a competition of, uh, like either or BRI or this uh, uh, India Middle East uh, corridor. They just see another option, another line. But if you look at the practicality of this, if BRI is already there, there are existing so many corridors. I think this this project will will be more of a you know announcement. And, and I, as of today, I do not see any practicality, and probably. Arabs also see the same thing. I mean, I have had a discussion with some of the people and they are really, they do not know what it is. But they are, little, I mean, everybody is skeptical so far. I think after 60 days, we will know exactly whether this is going to happen or not happen because I have a list in front of me of some 13 of these corridors announced earlier by various organizations, by America, Europe, India, and and. and um, other countries and nothing moved so maybe this is one of them so let's see okay so professor guy birch and we still have about two minutes before we need to take a short break uh in the middle of our show but uh, based on this point or this argument by mr saqib i mean uh for for countries like uh, saudi arabia and the uae some people say their involvement here represents a declaration that they are more than just energy producers that they are actively seeking serious partnership with uh, powers across the world to fulfill their economic, technological, or logistical needs. In other words, there is an angle of internal agenda for them. Uh, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And this is, again, ties in with the, the point that I've been making throughout, which is that you can see this at different levels. So when you look at the Saudis and the UAE, Actually, if you look at the Gulf more generally, um, there's a, a there's an agenda of economic diversification going on. Because as Mohammed pointed out, um, these countries are looking to see how do we develop our economies post uh, oil and gas, and so they are looking to bring in not just you know different industries, but also sort of high tech, you know high high level services, um, and so this kind of ties in with it. Um, at the same time, it's not just about trade, it's about bringing in services, but also you've got to keep in mind that there is a bit of a first mover advantage and competition going on amongst the Gulf states themselves. Because in a sense, many of them are actually offering the same kind of uh, opportunities to uh, foreign investors. And so from that perspective, they all need to compete. They're all competing with each other in order to try and attract uh, in money and investment in. So the economic diversification is incredibly important. Yeah, thank you. But anyway, let's take a short break first. Coming back, our discussion will continue. Stay tuned.
You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Today we are talking about a plan to build a new trade corridor to connect India to European continent via the Middle East. Joining our wonderful panel, Mohammad Saqib, CEO of the Bureau of Research on Industry and Economic Fundamentals, a New Delhi-based consultancy. Dr. Guy Burton, adjunct professor with the Department of International Affairs, Vassilias College in Brussels, as well as Dr. Inger Guam, professor of international politics with Fudan University. So, going back to you, Professor Ying,、um, mm-hmm. I mean, when we talk about, say, the role of、uh, UAE and Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, I mean, traditionally, these two countries, for example, especially the latter, Saudi Arabia, have long, you know, geopolitically or sentimentally aligned with Pakistan. So, was that legacy relationship in mind? Why do you think they are now moving to strengthen ties with India?、Um, right. It's not only just a legacy connection with Pakistan. I think uh, uh, it's a very real connection. They have、uh, economic connection, military connection.、Um, both parties、um, kind of need each other, but it doesn't stop、um, Saudi and the UAE from、uh, diversifying their、uh, their partnership. I think、uh, India, of course. Is、uh, is a very important player in the, in the region economic wise. India has been always the biggest trade partner of UAE, and、uh, I don't know the specific number with regarding trade between India and,、uh, and Saudi Arabia, but I、uh, I seriously think it won't be very small. So、um, the traditionally the connection, the trade connection between two、uh, between three countries are quite strong,、um, but, but I think we're, when we're discussing this very initiative of the Strengthening their ties、uh, with、uh, with one country, it doesn't necessarily mean there will there will be weakening ties with other countries,、uh, diversifying options and、um, uh, diversifying their both political、um, options as well as economic options、um, is for their own interest. And I think it is understandable and reasonable and、mm. very encouraging. Okay, so Mr. Mohammed Sakweb,、um, since you are talking to us from India, I guess we need to talk about a domestic dimension over there、um, in your country.、Uh, do you think、uh, the Hindu nationalism under Prime Minister Narendra Modi will become an obstacle for the relations between the Gulf countries on one hand and India on the other on the other side? I'm talking about this issue because. Last year, we saw one example where there was a lot of reaction from the Gulf,、uh, politically and diplomatically, after this、uh, spokeswoman of Modi's BJP, the ruling party, said something on TV openly, which was seen as blasphemy to Muslims. Yeah, you know,、uh, at the government level,、uh, in, in in all the Gulf countries and all. Uh, they see this、uh, the, the Hindu war or, or Hindu Muslim conflict in in India、uh, as a as a domestic uh, uh, matter,、mm-hmm. and it remains there. And I think、uh, they should choose because they think that、uh, this conflict has to be settled by the domestically, and they do not really because because the Gulf is not like like America that, that they, they 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 want this they and now they they. I mean, say that they are the savior of the world, and then they have to interfere in in human rights and all that. Gulf countries they do not talk about it. They see it as India's internal matter and all. But having said that, the people in the, in this Gulf region, you know,、hmm. they have started they have started feeling it and realize it and started talking about it. And mind you. There are millions of people of Indian origin who are Hindus who are working in the Middle East, and you know the jobs who、uh, are given by private people, not by the government there. And if the individuals、uh, have started realizing it and have started talking about it, then at some stage they might put pressure on their government to take some action or say something at least. Or, 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 or、uh, uh, I mean, this is important. The the case earlier you said about the,、uh, the, the, the one of the spokesperson was removed and all because of some、um, bad remarks on television. Yes, that issue was also raised by a masjid imam, you know, a, a, a kalagi、uh, from a mosque. No government said it, but then 
it was taken up, taken up by everybody and then governments had to react and say something and all because the public reaction of people there was much. So if it continues, then probably it will have an effect on India-China, uh, oh, sorry, India-Gulf uh, uh, relationship, maybe on the business uh, side as well. But as of today, I mean, they, they are not really bringing it into our relationships. Mm. So, Professor Burton, talking to us from Brussels, uh, in your understanding for the Europeans, what is really driving the European Union to deepen trade and investment ties with Gulf countries? Well, it's primarily economic. I mean, there's an interest in trying to, uh, you know, broaden outreach. Uh, you know, ensure that there's sort of that the that Europeans get a, you know, a fair share of the the cake, as it were. Um, mm. You know, that European firms and businesses can, you know, att- do business a- a- out in the Gulf. Um, but you know, it's obviously that they face a number of challenges themselves at home. I mean, there's a number of issues that uh, that Europe is having to deal with, rather the European Union is having to deal uh, internally with uh, issues to do with you know migration, issues to do with uh, you know the differences of the various members, what they want to achieve. Um, obviously, we've had you know high uh, energy prices here over the last couple of years, so there's a, a, a very real interest in you know how do we uh, generate you know reasonably priced uh, you know, energy or source it, particularly you know for our uh, for, for for our population, but also because we need to we need to diversify away from Russian uh, gas, which was a decision taken last year after the U- Ukraine war. Mm. So, by the way, um, in addition to deepening of the economic or business ties with the Gulf region, do you think um, the Europeans in general are 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 willing to play a more prominent? security-wise role in the region, I guess that's a wish, that's a hope on the part of Washington, D.C. since the Obama administration. Yeah, but if you're thinking about that particularly, it's not that's probably not something for the European Union to do because you know security pretty much rests at the national level. So then you're looking at the individual countries, of which really Britain and France are the you know the major security players uh, in terms of military size size of their militaries. But I think a lot of the attention in here in Brussels and in the European capitals is taken over with the Russia-Ukraine war. I think a lot of our focus is looking towards that part, that region, and so less so in the Gulf. Also think, keep in mind that the Middle East, yes, over the last decades, there was a lot of upheaval and turbulence following the uh, the uprisings from 2011 and the war in Syria and what have you. But I think now we're starting to see, or at least the perception here is, is that the Middle East is starting to settle. It is, you know, settling into a, a new configuration in which the Saudis and the Iranians seem to be willing to talk to each other. That you know, state actors are now on top. Um, so in that sense, I don't think the Europeans themselves are sort of giving a, 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 a considerable amount of time or attention to what's going on in the Middle East, and certainly not from a security level. Um, so, yeah, I, I would imagine. And if you look at the, 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 the actors involved or the state actors involved in this proposed initiative, it's not really so much the European Union, but it's sort of references to France, Germany and Italy. Hmm. And of course, I guess um, when we talk about the Europeans' involvement on security issues in the Middle East and North Africa, we tend to think of uh, NATO, right, in the case of the war in Libya, in Iraq, etc., etc. And by the way, talking about NATO, talking about another particular NATO member, it's very interesting. Uh, Professor Burton, um, how how would you make of this perceived unhappiness uh, on the part of Turkish President uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan about the announcement of this pro- particular project? Do you think um, his, his comment has a point when he says that the most suitable traffic line from east to west is actually the line crossing from Turkey? Well, of course, he's somewhat self-interested there. I mean, you know, any if if any trade was to take place, you know, through Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Israel, it basically bypasses Turkey. But I think also to keep it, you know, as we've talked about over the course of this panel discussion, we are still at a very far away from knowing what the substance of this actual initiative is going to be. Any kind of proposed railways, road networks, port facilities, we are still talking, you know, years away from this stuff being actually, you know, 
built, uh, put into practice. So, yes, I can understand why the Tur- why the Turkish president is 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 fearful, but I don't think he needs to be worrying just yet. <laughs> yeah. So so by the way, Professor Ng. Uh, working groups have been given some uh, some sixty days to put together a more detailed plan for the construction of this uh, particular corridor, and uh, it's being reported in media that the first stage would really involve identifying the areas that need more investment, and the areas where physical infrastructure can be connected between different countries involved here. So, with regard to say the United States, India, Gulf states, and the EU, or some individual EU members, um, what kind of resources do you think each of these powers could possibly be able to contribute to this plan? Well, I think that's a very interesting question.、Uh, I guess this is also laid in the in the core of our inquiry towards this very initiative. This, this very initiative, whether it is just going to be a ex- Running PR stunt, or this is going to be something solid.、Um, of course, we really hope it's going to be something solid. But from the sheer fact that、uh, the working group is only being given 60 days to work out、um, the plan, and the plan relies quite heavily on the existing infrastructure, but putting a rhetoric of distributing、uh, or considering the.、Uh, Uh, the underdeveloped or the areas with、uh, the most need to、uh, to be connected. This seems to be a little bit concerning because the the focus is on utilizing the existing things, whereas the、uh, the promise is largely seen as taken straight、uh, directly from what China has promised, has always been promising. So, to me, I'm I'm remaining hopeful, but I'm slightly leaning towards. Skepticism in,、uh, in this particular case, as precisely as you describe, you, you point out what specific we can't really see any sort of a specific、uh, commitments being made by all the major players. All the commitments that we can see right now is promising the existing things by joining them together. We can have a beautiful.、Uh, A、uh, beautiful new project. No, it's just、uh, reframing an old project into a new one.、Um, so I remain skeptical in this sense. Yeah, it's being reported. I I think I once saw a piece of media story which suggested that actually some seventy percent of the projects are already. Uh, in place, so there is there is need a need、uh, regarding renovation, etc., etc. But that's another subject. So,、uh, Mr. Sequip, earlier in your earlier talking points, you've you have already expressed enough、um, pessimism regarding this project. But、um, if、uh, you were to put away your pessimistic feeling a little bit. Realistically speaking, in particular,、uh, when we talk about, say, the financing issue, who do you think can really take care of the of this particular issue regarding money?、Uh, well, uh, is it? Yeah,、uh, Professor. Okay, Mr. Sequip first, and then I'll go to、yeah. you, Professor Ying.、Uh, okay, this is me asking me. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, actually, this is a very, very interesting question. You know. I mean, this is as as my my previous speaker said that this is a PR exercise uh, or or is really serious.、Uh, you know, we just for this this、uh, climate change, which is such an important issue and all, we have need not been able to collect ten billion dollars. You know, for for damages and compensation and all, and then we are talking about the huge project which they are laying down and all. Even if the seventy percent is ready, thirty percent is huge money. Now, who will contribute what? Uh, as as you asked、uh, earlier and all, I think like if you really put okay, this project is going to go, then maybe America can put in technology,、uh, India can give a、uh, kind of IT and and and、uh, HR and soft power and all,、uh, Middle East can put money into it because they are rich people. I think European can only give blessings and prayers and all. I think they have nothing nothing to really contribute to this, this thing physically if you come to it. And uh, uh, the, the money collecting money probably they are what they are talking about is that they will involve private sector into it. So it will be more of a public-private participation. 
and whom they involve uh, this is uh, this is not really uh, we do not know that, that that whether the chinese companies like in earlier uh, uh, projects they they allowed private participation whether they will allow chinese participation will they let huawei come in uh, by any way if they do it the chinese company will be involved covertly or overtly you cannot make a any any big project without chinese involvement but if they let chinese come in uh, uh, openly then probably finances will not be an issue if it is a ppp public private uh, project but if you are thinking that governments will finance from their um, uh, um, coffins, uh, then it it will be very very difficult. Okay, so Professor Ng, go to you. I mean, one particular question I can think of is that in the case of some projects under China's Belt and Road Initiative, for example, actually there have been some participation by Western corporations. Like the General Electric and Simons, and some American or German uh, financial institutions like Deutsche Bank have also involved in in some particular financing of some particular projects. Uh, by comparison, do you think the construction of this uh, planned corridor would uh, provide opportunities to Chinese businesses? No,、oh, I think that's a that's a million dollar question, I guess, right? Uh, but first, allow me to、uh, sort of slightly uh, uh, explain myself. I'm not pessimistic. I'm just maybe slightly leaning towards、uh, skepticism, but、uh, definitely not pessimistic.、Mm. Um, but pers- the reason why I'm leaning towards、uh, skepticism is precisely、um, because everything is up in the air, right? So we we are not sure what what is going to happen, what the plan will pan out. So in terms of Financing. If we're considering this plan as really open and initiative, trying to encourage people to get involved, then of course,、um, naturally, we will welcome everybody to bid according to、uh, market rule. Everybody needs to 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 be able to have a chance to、uh, to bid for a、uh, for this project. But、uh, if it turns out to be another project which Specifically, specifically excluding certain companies from certain countries, then it will just become a repetition of an instru- instrument which insert a certain type of geopolitical power and according to certain countries' will. This is purely interventionism. So we don't know that. That's why I remain hopeful. But skeptical. Another point I want to、uh, um, to elaborate on is that、um, I mean I, the reason why I remain hopeful is because、um, the region needs, from the region's perspective, from the uh, from uh, from the countries or which are part of this initiative. I think it is welcoming to see a diversified、uh, incoming interest towards this region. But also at the same time, it provides a, a real political momentum、uh, to work together. But again, having said that, a political momentum remains a, as a momentum that doesn't have a really sort of a real life changes in implication, unless they actually start to、uh, to work together, or there is a third party come from、uh, well, from either big power or external power coming over with a good intent. Um, to say that I'm going to help,、uh, let's kickstart, glued everybody together,、um, put a bit of money into it, and then we will start working on it. This is a really good project.、Um, but historical、uh, history has clearly showed us the、uh, sure the rare moment exists, the political momentum exists, it could exist in some、uh, historical moment, but uh, uh, interventionism. Um, tends to be playing a very strong role in this uh, uh, in the scene. But one thing remains quite hopeful is that、uh, the existing Belt and Road Initiative of China in this region has already put、uh, strengthening the the the,、uh, the local、uh, countries' bargaining power, negotiation power,、um, and the uh, uh, even with the intention of replacing the Chinese. Uh, 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 Belt and Road Initiative, it, they still have to put into consideration the sheer might of the China China's presence in there. That they they have to bear in mind that、uh, the recipient countries are not merely sitting there to receive uh, uh, any sort of uh, uh, handout. Handout. They have the power to choose now. So 
um, that's why I remain hopeful. Mm. Okay. So, <laughs> Professor Guy Burton, um, Professor Ng earlier mentioned one point that uh, political momentum is important, but uh, po- political momentum alone would probably not push everything through. And um, Mr. Sequip earlier gave his point regarding the say possible involvement of public-private partnership PPP. So I guess um, the role of the private sector is also something that that is noticeable. Actually, a statement by the White House says uh, the American approach aims to unlock new investments from partners, including the private sector. Now, frankly speaking, do you think the private sector will be will really be interested to invest in this um, plan, given the fact that the economic or commercial return of any investment in infrastructure might take a pretty long time to materialize? Yes, and that's a, that's a big question because you know what is going to uh, motivate and gen- uh, motivate firms to get you know to go and put their capital and to invest in these projects a couple of things one is risk i mean how you know how dangerous is the place going to be are we going to see our money returned um you know maybe the saudis and the and the the uae well the gulf region uh, not iran but sort of the the arab gulf countries you probably less it's a less risky environment that's true so risk is one thing and of course the other thing as well is profit so when are they going to see a return on their investments um you know things about the thing about doing infrastructure projects is they are very expensive and take a long time uh, to implement so it, a lot of it comes down to how you design these public private partnerships these ppps as mr sakib was talking about um we don't know yet what they're going to look like. We don't know yet where the money is going to come from. We don't know yet where, uh, how long it will take for these for these firms to, uh, to to generate a return on this. And that's going to be a real, you know, a real dis- make or break uh, factor for them. So, you know, it's it's one thing for you know state operated enterprises or state banks to you know to put money forward to uh, to invest or to sign these contracts, but it's another thing to you know to have governments saying that we want to mobilize and get private sector involvement into this because at the end of the day governments can't dictate or enforce the private sector to do this it's up to private businesses to make it to to see that it's in their interest to do so Mm. so this is a big question uh, to you professor burton first uh because many people say uh, are saying this i'm making this argument nowadays that now we are really living in an era an era of multipolarity featuring the relative decline of the uh, western industrialized powers and and also featuring the rising power of the emerging markets um would you agree and um by looking at uh this particular project do you think this corridor the plan over this corridor tells us anything about whether or not there is multipolarity in the world today yes and i think actually that's a to be fair there's actually a general consensus amongst the international relations scholarly community that we are shifting from you know a period of american unipolarity into one in which there are more uh, more actors or state actors on 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 the on the world stage um so yes the world is becoming much more multipolar and it's not just doing that at the global level but also at the regional level so if we look in the middle east it's not just these outside powers like the americans the indians and the chinese but also regional powers like you know, the saudis and the uae um, the question is going to become, you know, what is the nature of the relationship uh, in multipolarity? Because, you know, there there is a debate as to whether multipolarity generates more instability and volatility between state actors or whether they can get together and establish some de- degree of cooperation. Uh, we saw this in, the, in, in Europe in the 19th century with the establishment of the Concert of Europe, uh, which enabled that, that kind of competition and that kind of systemic rivalry was... Uh, frozen. But the final point to make, I think what's really interesting about the nature of multipolarity in the world today is just how trans 
actional it's become. So if you think about sort of the previous you know, period after 1945, the Western-led model, which was very much generate, uh, uh, based on sort of the, the sense of liberal ideas, liberal values, uh, free trade. You know, you see this with the, I, with, the, with the institutions like the IMF, the World Bank, and the WTO. That is now becoming under challenge. And so what we're starting to see is a number of state actors like the Saudis and the UAE who are t- starting to be, take a lot more of a self-interested approach to their relations with, 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 um, with other countries. Hence why they don't want to get uh, t- tied up in either an American block or a Chinese block. As far as they're concerned, the most, most important thing is what's happening to us internally and how can international relations and our relations with other actors, uh, state actors, help improve our situation at home. Mm. Okay, so Mr. Sequeb, we still have about like two minutes before we need to wrap up. So your final thoughts about multipolarity through the lens of this particular planned corridor? I think generally, you know, this corridor as of today has no relevance uh, for the multipolarity and all. I don't know whether this will come or not. Uh, I'm really skeptical about it. Uh, But generally, the multipolarity is coming back. Uh, uh, to um, in, 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 in many ways and all. And if really the purpose of this corridor was to create multipolarity, uh, then probably, you know, or, or, or to get something substantial. I think these countries should align when BRI is already there. You know, we are talking about that, where to get money, uh, who will do it, where, where, what will be the return and all. So for 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 these groups, if you do bring out, you take the geopolitics out of it, then probably for BRI this will be a complementary project and it will be much cheaper and better to do it and all. So multipolarity because of BRI has already happened because there are so many countries who you who used to look up to uh, up to the West or international organization for money or their infrastructure projects and all. Now now they have choices. So they can go to AIIB, they can go to Chinese government, they can go to IMF and World Bank. So multipolarity is open, but it is still a lot more work has to do. This project will contribute to multipolarity? I don't really, I can't really say that this is, uh, this is something uh, which will add anything to, to the current state of things. Mm. But that's an open question. No one knows the answer, at least for now. But thank you to all our participating panelists today. We have been speaking with Mohamed Saqib, CEO of the Bureau of Research on Industry and Economic Fundamentals, Professor Guy Burton from Vassilius College in Brussels, as well as Professor Inger Guang joining us from Fudan University. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. I'm Ding Hunting Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.